The final slice of special government funding for bariatric or weight loss surgery will be paid out at the end of next year. But what has been achieved with the $2 million a year dedicated to stomach-reducing operations since 2010? And can it be continued? Radio New Zealand's Inside Programme investigates. It's just after 8 o'clock. I'm sitting here in my hospital gown, waiting to be taken down to surgery for my gastric bypass. I'm optimistic, a little bit apprehensive about uh, the pain I expect and that sort of thing, but I uh, really am confident that it will make a very big change uh, to my life. One in four adults in New Zealand is obese. The latest figures show that the number of excessively overweight males has nearly doubled since 1997. 45% of Māori and 58% of Pacific adults are obese. For people like me, if we have the surgery, there's a very good chance of us living for 10 or 15 years longer than we would otherwise, and that's really what's driving me. Obesity is associated with a host of conditions, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, fertility problems, sleep apnea, and not least an often restricted way of living. I'm Philippa Tolley, and this insight considers the role of bariatric surgery in the battle against excessive weight. Does New Zealand need to provide more of these operations, and can they be paid for from within the current health budget after the final extra funding is handed out at the end of next year? I've now been fully out of surgery for 24 hours and don't feel too bad. There's um, sort of a dull ache across my, uh, my stomach. Um, I feel if I move I can get some quite sharp pains. Um, but um, I can walk with all the things that I'm hooked up to being trailed along behind me. And I'm uh, generally uh, feeling surprisingly good. I did not think that I would feel this well 24 hours later. To have this surgery done privately cost this patient, who would like to be known just as Colin, about $30,000. But to him, the argument was straightforward. I first went on a diet when I was 11 years old, which I organised myself with a little calorie counter I found somewhere. And I was very successful in losing weight. And then I put it all on again. And ever since then, that's what I've done. I think I've lost more weight over the years than I now weigh. I'm 125 kilos, and I'm sure that I've lost more than that from diets over the years. But it comes on again, and it comes on heavier than I was before. So, yes, you can lose it. Keeping it off seems to be the problem. And my feeling is that it's not simply a matter of willpower. There's something back in the reptile part of my brain that's saying, eat, eat. This, I hope, will be interfered with by this operation. This operation is major surgery to deal with a problem that some people regard as simply a lack of self-control. But prior to the operation, Colin said he wasn't worried. I know the risks and I know that bad things could happen, but uh, generally I'm, I'm very optimistic about it and very pleased that I've finally made this decision. It was the Associate Health Minister, Tariana Turia, who has herself had weight loss surgery, who announced the funding of an extra $2 million a year for four years beginning in 2010. A clinical leader at the Ministry of Health who works at prioritising services for the National Health Board, Chris McEwen, outlines how the extra funds are being used. These are designed to pay for an additional 75 operations a year for four years. 
with um, some, uh, some of those patients potentially having uh, revisional plastic surgical work uh, available to them in the, in the second and, uh, third and fourth years. In the last year, the district health boards haven't managed the extra 75 operations, with figures just released showing that numbers went up by 39, from 350 in 2010-2011 to 389 the following year. Chris McEwen says it was never intended that every district health board would have the resources to do such surgery, as an extended team is needed to provide psychological assessment, nutritional advice and specialist nursing. But every board has the money to fund operations for those living within their catchment. So part of the reason that there's been a relatively slow uptake in terms of the funding was really getting those regional connections established and uh, identified and getting the processes in place to make those work really well. Bariatric surgery is not a cure in its own right. Um, It's a methodology that allows patients to make a, a lifestyle change and supports them to make that change. But they have to make the change. That takes a lot of work, especially in the sort of the eight to ten weeks immediately after the operation where they have to rethink about what they're eating, how they're eating, the amounts they're eating, and so on and so forth. Uh, Day two after the day of the operation, uh, very sleepy, very... uh, very much less pain uh, than there was. I've had a few visitors, which are good, but I, the smallest things are very tiring. I had a shower and it was exhausting. So um, I'm hoping things will pick up in the next uh, day or two. Certainly I can move a lot easier than I was, which is, uh, which is very good because for the first uh, a little while it was very, very hard just to get out of a chair or something like that. Now that's relatively easy. At Wellington Hospital, it took time to get the services up and running as there'd been no publicly funded bariatric surgery for many years. Two gastrointestinal surgeons, Kusel, Rick Ramasekara and Simon Ban, are carrying out the work after going to Australia, the UK and America to learn how to do the procedure through laparoscopic or keyhole surgery. Wellington Hospital has now carried out about 60 operations in the last couple of years, although some were done under contract at private hospitals as public operating theatres were already committed to other elective surgery. But as Simon Ban explains, despite about 5% of the population probably needing the surgery to lose weight, not everyone is suitable. One of the biggest contraindications is unstable psychiatric disease, but from a physical point of view, anaesthetic issues, if they're too high in anaesthetic risk, so if they have severe respiratory disease or severe cardiovascular disease, then that would clearly be the, the anaesthetic risk would be too high to them. So or if, to, they're, if they're too large? Uh, we are limited in the, at the moment to 160 kilograms. Those are sort of international guidelines in the first years of a, of a new practice. So as this is a new practice at CCDHB, we're going by that. And in terms of the um, equipment, about 180, 190 kilos is about as much as you probably do laparoscopically comfortably. We have longer ports, longer instruments, but clearly there's a physical issue. If you can't reach the area you need to get to, then you're not going to be doing the operation. The hospital carries out a type of operation called a sleeve gastrectomy, which restricts the size of the stomach but also has a metabolic effect. The process is not entirely understood, but it means patients are often off diabetes medication shortly after the operation and before they lose weight. Kusal Wickramasekara says there is some compelling evidence in support of spending money now to save spending large amounts in the future. 
There's some great data from Canada which shows that within three and a half years, this, this money that's allocated as an outset is paid back. You know, these patients that keep going to clinics such as the, the diabetic clinic, hypertension, varicose veins, you know, venostasis, static ulcers, carotid disease, all of these things are paid back within a three and a half year period. Although local figures are still being gathered, the two surgeons say financial arguments from overseas and patient demand have convinced Capital and Coast District Health Board. CCTHB has, made a, has decided, thankfully, to increase them from 12 to 25, but the other DHPs haven't committed to an increase this year. So, so that's for this next financial year, so they've doubled that, the CCTHB group have doubled that number, but the other DHPs haven't quite got to that point, so... We're going to be stuck in terms of demand versus delivery. We're clearly going to be short, have a massive shortfall there. It's uh, now Friday night. I've had my definitely best day so far. I feel quite human. I'm in very little pain. I've taken my bandages off. I've also, for the, uh, the first time, eaten something, so that's had some food on Monday night, so I went Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday through to dinner time without eating anything. If you can call it eating, it was uh, very few teaspoons of very clear soup and a tiny amount of jelly. And um, funny thing is afterwards I felt full. I don't think I should have at this stage, but anyway I did. I didn't eat at all by any means and um, that's where I'm at. 12 district health boards are providing the weight loss operations and there are regional agreements in place so that other districts can get the surgery for patients from their areas. It's, uh, it's half past midnight on Saturday morning and um, just had yet another blood test. Uh, this time to see what my um, blood sugars are like. Interestingly, they are very good. Um, I'm, they're still giving me insulin, but um, I think about a sixth of the insulin that I usually take, and my blood sugars are now approaching the normal range, which is giving me some hope that I might be able to get rid of diabetes. The surgeon who performed Colin's operation, Richard Stubbs, works privately and has been involved in this type of procedure since the late 1980s. Before then, Professor Stubbs had the same views about obese people that many members of the public hold. They overeat, they don't exercise, and need to solve the problem themselves. I became involved and very quickly realised this was not a matter of eating too much, doing too little. There was something much more important going on and much more fundamental. So I started in 86 and I suppose by 1990 I was a very serious convert uh, to the surgery and to the benefits that could come from it and to the almost impossibility for individuals to achieve the same thing by any other means. So since 1986 I've done a little over 1300, maybe 1350 operations. Nice to see you again. Good to see you. Should we go inside? Inside, yeah. As he recuperated at home, Colin explained how his appetite has totally turned around. I could eat huge amounts in terms of volume, but my attitude to food has changed. I did used to think of food, and then I would keep thinking of food till I ate something. Now I think of food, and my mind wanders off onto something else. 
Within a fairly short time, his weight had dropped by 18 kilos, and he was eating just three cups of food a day. This was lunch the day before I visited. Most of an egg. I haven't yet managed to devour a whole egg. Uh, but most of an egg and some cottage cheese and some grapes, I think. Colin no longer feels hungry and is off the drugs he'd taken for diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol and aspirin. He's happy with his decision to pay for the operation with all the improvements it's made to his health. For his surgeon, Richard Stubbs, the benefits of the treatment far outweigh any of the associated risks. We're doing this surgery on a group of people whose lives have essentially come to an end at age 30, 35. 45. They're alive, but they're just existing. They're withdrawing from life, work, they're costing money. So the context of complications and risk of the surgery has to be set against what is that risk compared with the impairment in their quality of life. Most of them wouldn't give tuppence for the risk. They are prepared to put their life on the line because their life is worth so little to them. The reality is this surgery is extremely safe. Almost all operations done in this country today, we would expect less than 1% of people to die. Such radical change to an individual's body can be difficult to deal with, however welcome. A specialist nurse working with the bariatric surgery service at Wellington Hospital, Gail Kaiwai, says support and the option of counselling is essential. In the early stages, they're very happy people to have the weight loss going on and people noticing and giving them compliments, etc. But they do need the ongoing support because there can be many challenges around changing yourself in such a dramatic fashion in your relationship with your partner, your family, your workmates um, and friends. And there are issues that crop up that we may not understand. There are lots of people who use food in a soothing manner. If you take away their ability to soothe themselves with food, what are they going to do to soothe themselves? While the surgery is a major step, diabetes is a serious disease to suffer. Nearly 210,000 people in New Zealand have the illness. Diabetes New Zealand says if the rate of increase continues, in less than a decade the health care costs for treating diabetes are expected to hit a billion dollars a year. Is that another argument for boosting weight loss surgery? The clinical leader for diabetes at Capital and Coast District Health Board, Jeremy Krebs, would like more effort put into preventing obesity in the first place, although he says the figures for surgery seem to speak for themselves. If you take the example of a person who's had type 2 diabetes for 10, 15, 20 years and they're still only in their 50s, for example, and they haven't looked after their diabetes terribly well and they begin to develop complications such as renal failure. Uh, we all know that that uh, diabetes is the leading cause of renal failure and the need for dialysis in this country. And the cost of dialysis for one patient per year, I don't have the exact figure, but it's around about $100,000, you know, there or thereabouts. The cost of bariatric surgery for the operation is in the order of twenty to $30,000, depending on where it's done and exactly which operation. So it doesn't take a you know, rocket scientist to work out the cost economics of, of that comparison. Uh, but um, again, to say that that's the solution for everybody, I think, is, is, the, is the wrong approach. I think for many patients, it is an incredibly good um, treatment, uh, but not for everyone. He says for some, surgery would be an over-the-top solution. 
But even for those who would really benefit, the problem is identifying the best candidates. We see this all the time in, in lots of areas of medicine, that when you try to apply the evidence from highly rigorous clinical trials to the general population, you don't always get the same results. And I think we're already getting a bit of a sense of this in the, with the limited funding we do have available in the public system, that those patients, um, although we're trying desperately to recruit them uh, as best we can, um, aren't necessarily doing quite as well as those people who have previously paid for this operation in the private sector. And there's many, many factors that are contributing to that. Potential candidates for surgery have to be not just overweight, but also suffer from a range of conditions. But that doesn't mean the heavier you are, the more likely it is you'll get an operation. The success rate goes down the higher an individual's body mass, and if someone has been on insulin for too many years, the chance of reversing the condition is less likely. Hi, Lynn. How are you? I'm oh, good, thank you. Come thank you very much for having me in. No worries. I'll see you. One of the first patients to have surgery in Wellington using the extra funding was Lynn Hanks. An application by her GP to be considered for weight loss surgery was turned down three years ago due to lack of funding. But two years later, a surprise phone call would change her life. She had just a couple of days to agree to take part in a so-called no-promises pre-assessment to see if she met the criteria for surgery. They obviously checked my weight, they checked my contributors, so I had diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, sleep apnea, well, um, put nicely, very loud snore, and reflux. So, But that was partly to do, I think, probably to do with all the medications that I was on to control everything else. So they checked all of those things with me, what medications I was on. They also checked, interestingly, what skeletons I might have in my closet, whether I had any child abuse, any of those things that could lead to an eating disorder, potentially, that might make or break the process. After all those checks, Lynn Hanks was selected and had the surgery. I had the laparoscopic sleeve gastrectomy which is the removal of 95% of my stomach. Turning it into post-surgery, it was basically esophagus ran into just a strip straight down into my intestines. So we had a 100ml capacity, not much. Nearly a year after her surgery, Lynn Hanks now has to make sure she keeps weight on, having lost too much. But she feels a huge burden has been lifted. I feel so much better for it. I, I mean, I told the surgeons the last time I saw them that I felt like I'd been given a gift, that I'd had a beast that had been screaming at me for years to feed it. It is a, you know, for me, diabetes was a monster that I didn't actually, wasn't entirely conscious of until I didn't have it. And suddenly I'd gone quiet on the inside. And I, it took me a while to work out what that was. And it was it's because I didn't have that sort of clamouring to be fed a need to be met that I no longer had. And then I realised that that's what diabetes does. It's, it's something that you can never satisfy, so you're constantly trying to meet its need, can't, and you have all these other side effects that happen, like you put on weight because you're trying to feed the beast. So suddenly it had gone quiet inside, and it was like... Oh, like having a canker removed. You know, it, was, it was just lovely. That's such a bonus. If I have to manage my weight now, 
So be it. New Zealanders are known to confound expectations based on overseas experience. Chris McEwen says one of the areas where priority criteria have been adjusted is when it comes to age and gender. New Zealanders are an unusual group historically from the medical point of view. I mean, if you get a New Zealander who says, I want to do this, they want to do it with a wholeheartedness that really is, is, makes it very effective. They're also quite good at saying they don't want to do it as well, and that's fair enough. So the number of patients who are actually fronting may be actually less than we kind of expected initially because there are a lot of them who go, well, actually, I don't want an operation. I should be able to fix this myself. That's fine. Let's make sure we've got all those processes in place for them. But those that do choose it, we're getting a good success rate. And so that the age range, again, talking about something that's not specific by itself, but an age range, for example, that was quite narrow, that nobody accepted anybody over the age of 50, for example, is now extending out. That determination among some to tackle the problem themselves is evident in my colleague at Radio New Zealand, Eru Rerakura, who rejected the idea of surgery. His weight problems have haunted him since an early age, but really hit home in his mid-twenties. When I got to the age of 25, that's when I was told I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And so that was a real wake-up call for me. And so there was the option presented then of maybe going for surgery because I was 160 kgs at the age of 25. And so I went on a diet instead, and that worked for about two years. Then, pretty much after that, I think I lived in denial, thinking that I had had it all under control. And then 10 years later, I got a relapse and presented it at my GP's and she ordered me to the hospital straight away. I was back up to 160 kgs and the blood sugar levels were through the roof. And it was discussed then as well. Um, you've got two options. You can either go on a weight loss diet or you can perhaps consider bariatric surgery. But it was recommended that I actually go through a weight loss program instead. That weight loss program has been a great success. Eru has lost 70 kilograms in two years through a structured healthy eating program and exercise. One of the cool things about being on a weight loss program, even after losing 10 kgs, I was off uh, having to take insulin, my medication was reduced and I no longer have hypertension. Eru is keen to be a role model to show others in the Māori and Pacifica community that it is possible to take control and get on top of weight problems. But there is another reason he would not consider an operation to drastically re-plumb his digestive system. It's personally an issue for me. I'm one of these people with my driver's licence. I, I haven't ticked the donor box. It's just that I want my own body parts kept with me. And, yeah, I, I guess it's a mixture of personal and sort of cultural feelings. He feels that individuals are empowered if they can get on top of the problems themselves. But for those who need the help surgery offers, will it continue to be a possibility once the current funding ends? The Health Minister, Tony Ryle, says whether there will be extra funding in the future is still to be discussed, with the past two years an opportunity to build experience among medical staff and develop what he calls a referral pathway. But he feels DHBs will have to fund the surgery out of what is already available, even though he expects demand to grow. Bariatric surgery is going to be an increasing item that's funded by the Public Health Service. Actually, it is the most performed elective surgery in the United States now. 
So it's not hips, it's not joints, it's not cataracts, it's a bariatric surgery. So that, that's probably a reflection of what will happen in New Zealand into the future as well. While the role of bariatric surgery is predicted to expand, the Ministry of Health's Chris McEwen believes other treatments to counter excessive weight will develop as well. There's some really good research going on, for example, on electrical stimulation of the nerves that come from the stomach to pretend that the stomach is full. And if you can get that signal going and you can get that signal going loudly, then in fact people don't eat as much and that would be really nice. And that's a way simpler operation that's completely reversible, doesn't risk any of the complications that, that bariatric surgery does. I would be arguing if the research continues on, if we begin to understand better what the surgery does in the way of changing people's behaviour other than surgical means, then we may well be able to provide a non-surgical solution. But Richard Stubbs is less optimistic about the availability of surgical treatments in the future. We are progressively moving into a time, and so is the entire world, where they cannot afford what they are doing. You can go on kidding yourself that you can look after your people, but actually make no mistake about it. Roll on the clock 20 years and there are going to be many, many, many New Zealanders who are not getting the care they need. I think this is just one of the first big groups of New Zealanders who are not going to get what they need. He believes people will have to budget to pay for some aspects of their health care or accept that they will not have access to every option possible. Chris McEwen feels the challenge in the next stage will be to find a way to balance and prioritise weight loss surgery against other elective procedures. Our next problem after we've got this initiative funding dealt with is to integrate those numbers into the normal practice of the DHBs without initiative funding. That's part of a bigger project where we're looking at prioritisation for general surgery, which is the big specialty that bariatric surgery sits under, so that every patient is prioritised according to their, their individual need and ability to benefit. The surgeon Kusal Wickramasekara is certain district health boards will face increased pressure from people in their region to make such operations more readily available. New Zealand has a 23% rate of obesity, so clearly the numbers are going to be far higher than what we can deliver. There's no doubt about that. Um, how are we going to cope with that? I think uh, you know, at some point government will change their mind in respect to how much funding will be allocated to this particular uh, problem. If you look around the world, especially in the, at, at the UK, the number of surgeries they're doing has, has tripled within a very short period of time. Um, and I'm talking about four or five years, and that's a dramatic change. Those who have opted for a surgical solution have changed how they eat for the rest of their lives. I can still make a five-course dinner and my friends can thoroughly enjoy it and I can sit and I can have my, instead of having a bowl of soup, I just have a little espresso cup of soup. And that's fine because I still get to have it all. And great leftovers. Yeah! <laughs> Feed for a week. Well, Saturday morning about 10 o'clock. I'm no longer attached to anything. My pain relief is now down to this little bottle of... Uh, two Panadol, which have been cut in half, uh, apparently because a half a Panadol capsule is easier to take than, than one. So I'm uh, now uh, independent, no longer plugged in, and um, waiting to be let go home in about uh, two days.
I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radioNZ.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that program. Technical production was by Chris Keogh.